Hi friends, Justin Hibbert here. Can I ask a huge favor? If you're blessed by this podcast, if you've learned something from it, if this has been helpful to you, would you do me a huge favor and buy me a cup of coffee? Okay, don't really buy me a cup of coffee, but pretend like every month you're taking me out for a cup of coffee. How do you do this? You become a patron. It's just $5 a month to become a patron. It's the cost of a cup of coffee. It's all I'm asking. If you could be so generous in doing that, it will go a long way in supporting me, this podcast, and some big plans I have for Why Catholic. All you need to do is go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Thank you for your help. God bless you. Most, I would venture to say, have a biblically inaccurate view of God dictating the Ten Commandments. Thanks to art and film, most envision a middle-aged Moses reaching up into the sky and receiving these two rounded stone tablets from some sort of being with arms. But if we read Exodus 19 and 20 carefully and consecutively, we learn that Moses was not on Mount Sinai when God began dictating the Decalogue, that is, the Ten Commandments. Rather, Moses had just descended Mount Sinai and was about to reascend when all of a sudden there was this deafening clamor in the form of natural phenomenon, earthquakes and thunder, like the earth was about to explode. It was so loud and disturbing that the people begged Moses to tell God to stop. Now, I'm not quite sure how someone deciphered the code, how they figured out that the clash of thunder and the rattling of earthquakes became something intelligible like the Ten Commandments. Maybe someone figured it out the same way an intelligence officer is able to make sense out of a series of beeps. Or possibly, once Moses ascended Mount Sinai, God cracked the code for him, writing down the clamor into intelligible script. All we know is that if we were there at the base of Mount Sinai with the rest of the recently freed Hebrews, we would say that the voice of God is frightful and so loud that it hurts our ears. Now, I've heard many sermons throughout my life about listening to the voice of God, but I've never heard someone say, Oh, the voice of God? You do not dare want to hear the voice of God. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. In the last episode, we began a new series on the nature of God, and we explored how God is both personal in that he is one in three persons, and that he created us to reflect the complex nature of the Trinity, particularly in the relationship of husband and wife. And ultimately, God desires to be with us, to have a relationship with us, and he desired that so much so that he did the extraordinary thing of becoming one of us. If God is personal, then we must conclude that he desires to communicate with us. So today I would like to explore the way in which God expresses himself. Sometimes, generally late at night, I drive for Uber. About a month ago, I picked up a gentleman that was in town for the Sundance Film Festival, and I drove him about a half hour from Salt Lake City to Park City, Utah. I learned that he was from the East Coast, and when I explored further, I learned that he went to St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland. I attended high school in Annapolis, and I have many friends who are Johnnies, that is, graduates of St. John's College. This gentleman shared his experience at St. John's, a great book school in the classical tradition, and he volunteered that he shuddered a bit when he got to the semester that focused on religion, particularly in the parts regarding Christianity. I should add that at no point did I tell him that I was a Christian or the host of this podcast. He just volunteered all this information. He said that he grew up in an ardent atheist home, and as such, he clashed with many of his Christian classmates. After reading a segment of the Bible, he would say, I don't like this God, to which his classmates would say that his comment made them feel uncomfortable, and he would then respond with, well, your God makes me feel uncomfortable. One does not have to be an atheist to be uncomfortable with some of the biblical details of God's expressions. 
There are moments in the Bible where God prescribes war, even a complete genocide of sorts, including women and children. How are we to make sense of this? How do we reconcile the God of the Old Testament with Jesus, the God of the New Testament? In considering how God communicates, we must also consider the recipients of this communication, for communication is both expressed and received. As one who has studied language, one of the fascinating things about languages is how quickly they evolve. If you have teenagers in your home like I do, then you may be familiar with some of the newer slang terms. I have a son who, to my consternation, constantly refers to me as bra. As an English major and a Spanish minor, I had to read a number of works that were hundreds of years old. Of course, there's Shakespeare, and every high schooler will tell you how difficult that is to understand. But then there's the really old English that you find in works like Beowulf, and the really old Spanish like you find in works like El Cid. And as you attempt to read those, you become aware that an English or Spanish speaker a thousand years ago would not understand an English or Spanish speaker today. And they certainly wouldn't understand the term bra. And this is what's so remarkable about God. He is infinite, which means he's been communicating with mankind from the very beginning. Not just communicating in a particular language, but communicating in a dialect appropriate to the time and space. Most of my Spanish I learned in Spain, and a couple of months ago, as I was driving a group of 20-somethings from Chile, I could swear to you that they weren't even speaking Spanish. Their dialect was completely foreign to me. And since I generally don't keep up with my Spanish, my Spanish is stuck not only in Spain, but in the early 2000s Spain. Yet if God is infinite and constantly communicating with the world, then he is ever familiar with the evolving dialects all throughout the world. What's even more is that all of us have personalities that determine our communication preferences. Some prefer the type of communication that you might hear from a flight attendant. Some might prefer straightforward gruff talk. Consider the story of Jesus talking with the woman at Jacob's well in Samaria, which we read about in John chapter 4. Now, I'm not an expert on ancient Aramaic, but I have to think that there were at least some differences between the Aramaic that the Jews spoke and the Aramaic that the Samaritans spoke during Jesus' day. Yet even so, Jesus had a fluent conversation with the woman at the well, filled with lots of nuance. Furthermore, when the woman claimed that she did not have a husband, Jesus was quick to point out that she had had multiple husbands, and the man she was with at the moment was not her husband. Talk about straight talk. When I read that passage, my inclination is to think, whoa, Jesus, that's a little forward, don't you think? But for the woman, it appears that it wasn't. In fact, it prompted her to tell all her friends about the prophet that knew everything about her. What I found abrasive, the woman found comforting. Jesus knew exactly what the woman needed to hear in exactly the way that she needed to hear it. Remarkable. A friend of mine was talking about how he was listening to the Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmitz. Prior to that, my friend's impression of God confronting Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden about their sin had a brute tone like Charleston Heston, what have you done? But Father Mike Schmitz presented God's tone in a totally different way. Adam, Eve, what have you done? The challenge in reading scripture is that we are some 2,000 to 4,500 years removed from the context of the story. We have no audio recording of the language which Abraham spoke, or the language Moses spoke, or the language Isaiah spoke, or even the language Jesus spoke. All we have, at best, are fragments of writing. We try and picture the context of the story, but there is no film to show us what the story actually looked like. So we interpret scripture, and specifically the voice of God with our own lens. And to complicate matters, when we read these stories, we are reading them through the lens of another writer. When we read of Jesus overturning the tables of the temple, we not only vision the scene through our own personal bias, 
but we're reading about it through the lens of the gospel writer. Consider what the Catechism, paragraphs 42 and 43, say, quote, God transcends all creatures. We must therefore continually purify our language of everything in it that is limited, image-bound or imperfect. If we are not to confuse our image of God, the inexpressible, the incomprehensible, the invisible, the ungraspable, with our human representations, our human words always fall short of the mystery of God. Admittedly, in speaking about God like this, our language is using human modes of expression. Nevertheless, it really does attain to God himself, though unable to express him in his infinite simplicity. Likewise, we must recall that between creator and creature, no similitude can be expressed without implying an even greater dissimilitude, and that concerning God we cannot grasp what he is, but only what he is not, and how other beings stand in relation to him." End quote. Have you ever known somebody and learned that they said or did something which seemed completely out of character from your experience with them? There was a guy in high school named Brian, and Brian was a class clown. He always said the goofiest things in the goofiest ways in order to get a laugh. I never once heard him say anything serious. Then one day I overheard a girl talking about an interaction that she had with him. I can't remember the details other than it was a serious conversation about the relationship. And I interrupted her and said, wait, are you talking about Brian, our classmate? I had never heard Brian say anything that was remotely serious, and so I could not fathom Brian having such a conversation as this girl was describing. But in reality, my relationship with Brian was limited to the context of the classroom. I never hung out with him after school or in any other environment other than the classroom where he was always trying to be the class clown. Isn't it the same when it comes to our relationship with God? If we have limited interactions with him, then we only have a limited perception of his personality. And if God is infinite and can express himself in seemingly infinite ways, then our perception of God will be exponentially limited. If all we read are little vignettes here and there, then that is all we will see of God. My friend, who had read the Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmitz, said that one of his biggest takeaways was that he had always pictured the God of the Old Testament as rough and stern. But when he read the entire scope of scripture, he was blown away by the patience of God. If all we read about in the Exodus story was God belting out the Ten Commandments in deafening thunder, we would not see the part where a messenger, possibly a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, a topic for a coming episode, led Moses and the Hebrews across the Red Sea, another aspect of the Exodus story that often gets overlooked. If Elijah only thought that God could speak through boisterous natural phenomenon, then he would have completely missed the part where God spoke to him through the whisper of a wind. We must understand that God being infinite has an infinite way of expressing himself, and we have an, a limited way of expressing ourselves. I can be comical, but only to a point. I can be serious, but only to a point. I can be sad, but only to a point. God in being infinite can be expressive in all of those different directions to infinite points. Have you ever considered his infinite expressiveness as a part of his infinite nature? I think it would be tempting to think that maybe God feels the need to express himself in these infinite and often bizarre ways in order to prove himself his infiniteness. But since God is personal, since he desires to have a relationship with us, it seems that it would do no good to communicate for the sake of hearing himself talk in order to prove himself in his infiniteness. Communication, after all, requires both the delivery of expression and the reception of it. We only need to consider the story of Pentecost, where the followers of Jesus began preaching, and everyone around them heard them in their own native languages. Whether God caused his followers to speak in other languages, or whether God somehow translated the message into the ears of the bystanders, we can't be completely sure. 
But what we can be sure about is that they heard the message in a way that was intelligible to them, and God made sure of it. And so that leaves us to wonder why God expresses himself at times the way he does. And a perfectly reasonable question which we ought to ask is, why did God express himself in that certain way? Why in the thunder at Mount Sinai with Moses and the Hebrews, yet the whisper on Mount Horeb with Elijah? What was it that was needed at that moment for God to express himself in that particular way? When we ask this question, explore this answer, I think we will discover that God is so personal that he knows exactly how to express himself appropriately at the appropriate time to the appropriate audience given the specific context, like with the Samaritan woman at the well. I want to end with this story, a story that has always puzzled me until I became Catholic. It is a story found in John chapter 2, The Wedding at Cana. Jesus' mother, Mary, pointed out to Jesus that the wedding host had run out of wine, to which Jesus responded, Woman, what has that got to do with me? Or maybe it was, Woman, what has that got to do with me? Regardless, I don't know about you, but I have never called my mom woman, and if I ever called my wife woman, I could be sure that I would be sleeping on the couch. It seems so disrespectful, yet it's so poignant to the story that the Apostle John included it in the details. It seems that if John wanted to paint Jesus as one who honored his parents, then he might choose to omit this exchange. Because when we read this story in our own context, we might conclude that Jesus was dismissive of his mother. And if this were our only exposure to Jesus, we might conclude that he's some sort of arrogant punk. Over the centuries, many theologians have helped make sense of this curious passage, concluding that Jesus was not being disrespectful, but rather endearing and esteeming of his mother. Jesus called Mary woman in the same sentiment that Adam called Eve woman. Jesus saw something in Mary that the first man saw in the first woman. And just as Adam looked at Eve and said, woman, in the most endearing and purest way, so Jesus looked at his mother and called her woman for she was the new Eve. Isn't it strange how one word could be interpreted in two very different ways, depending on the context and the deeper understanding? And so to many who think that the God of the Old Testament is at odds with the God of the New Testament, what begs of us is to go deeper with God. If we can't quite reconcile his various personalities and expressions, then perhaps what is at odds is not God, but our relationship with him. There is something of his personality that we don't quite get because we don't quite know him well enough. And the good news is this. God is not only an infinite God with the ability to express himself in infinite ways, but he is a personal God who desires to draw us into his personality. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode in your email inbox. As a subscriber, you get a special discount code to the Why Catholic Etsy store. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it and patrons get some extra perks. To become a free subscriber or a patron, just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.